Welcome to today's episode of Building Builders, a podcast made for contractors. We just had Construction Safety Week last week, so we thought it'd be fitting to be joined by Monica Ricosi, a safety trainer and keynote speaker to talk about new construction safety technologies, equipment operator safety, and why there doesn't seem to be any real standard for equipment operator safety training in construction. We hope you enjoy this episode and remember to follow and subscribe on whatever streaming service you use. Monica, it's great to meet you. Thanks for joining our Building Builders podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, thanks. We've been, uh, you know, really looking forward to it. Um, you know, I maybe just to get started and, you know, uh, let our uh, listeners know a little bit uh, about yourself. Uh, could you just kind of introduce yourself, talk about uh, what you've been up, up to? Uh, I think there's a lot of construction safety uh, stuff in there. I'm excited to talk about it. Sure. So um, my name is Monica Ricosi. I am the owner and founder of a company called Enter Training Solutions. Um, my background is I've been in construction for about 20 years now. Um, I did not start in safety. I didn't get into safety till uh, a little over halfway into my career, and I kind of fell into it. Uh, but when I got there, I absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, my background is more excavation work. So I really focus a lot on uh, trenching and excavation, um, but I do a little bit of everything out there. And the whole premise of my business is to try to keep safety a little bit fun and engaging so that people don't zone out and they actually don't hate coming to training and they actually enjoy it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So glad that you're out there doing that and, you know, keeping, uh, keeping everyone safe and, you know, providing the awareness. Um, we really want to talk, uh, about, uh, equipment safety, uh, today or, or primarily, uh, you know, want to, uh, focus in there. Um, we, so it sounds like there's two areas of safety that are incredibly important being behavior-based safety and safety technology. Uh, are those the major trends over the last few years? Are there any others? Oh, sure. So uh, definitely huge trends on those. Um, so we've got new technology that's coming out that is just absolutely incredible. But we're also finding that behavior-based is where we're having a good chunk of our accidents. Uh, so we're focusing a lot on those two items. Now, uh, those two items um, can be technology-driven. Uh, you talk about behavior-based and distractions and stuff. Um, but it can also be stress. It can also be a variety of other items out there, even down to what equipment we're using um, that has nothing to do with technology, but more so on the basic structure of where it's built. Mm -hmm. Do you... Um well, actually, let me ask this question first. Uh, there's a ton of safety uh, technology and equipment now, but internal and external technologies, uh, it seems. Uh, what do you think are the best ones? Oh, gosh. There's so many cool items out there. Um, I am super excited about... On the external side, I think it's really, really cool to see some of the um, alerts that are given, like SIG alarm and things like that, that you can mount onto your heavy equipment that tell you when or tell your operator when they're getting too close to power lines. It actually measures uh, the, the power coming off of it, gives your oh, wow. operators um, information about all of that, um, which is amazing. And the fact that they're mountable onto multiple different machines means people are no longer married to only one machine having that capability. I think other really cool pieces of, of tech out there are things like um, 
there's the LED light structures now for the mining equipment. It's things that you can actually mount on the outside of the machines that gives the people around the machine a heads up as to where the blind sides are of your operators. So they know not to walk into that, which is absolutely incredible. Um, one of my favorite ones, behavior-based, is something called Alert Meter. Uh, Alert Meter came about after the Exxon Valdez incident. Uh, tons and tons of research that went into it. They actually partnered with NIOSH and NASA. And this is something where we can measure the, the awareness of the operator themselves. So it's kind of like a little brain game that the operators can play. Uh, when they get hired, they get a baseline of what their normal functions are. And let's say they've got a high-risk activity going on that day. They can go through the alert meter uh, yeah, to make sure that their, their cogn uh, cognitive abilities that day are, are on point. So we're not asking anybody that's tired, stressed, distracted, or anything else like that to do something that's um, heavy risk. It's all super cool features. I mean, I, frankly, I didn't know a lot of these existed, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> you know, amazing. Um, uh, do you, so, you know, with technology, a lot of times, you know, you know, just even thinking about being in a car, you know, last time I was in an excavator is probably a year ago, but, you know, sometimes you just want to play with the, the technology, right? And you want to <laughs> test it out and see what it's capable of. Um, are are these safety features ever distractions themselves? <laughs> yeah, um, I would definitely say that. And, and I, I love safety technology. I think it's a great addition to the field. But sometimes we can become a little bit too reliant on it. Um, right. And there's so many studies behind that showing that. So one of my favorite studies is of a crosswalk where they videotaped people who were going across a, a crosswalk. And before you cross a crosswalk, you obviously look both ways. And then they installed a safety device. They installed one of those walk, don't walk um, signs. And what they right. found is when they filmed it is that people would now rely solely on the safety device. And as soon as that little green man popped up, they'd start walking across the street and then they'd no longer look left and right. So my big thing is, is safety technology is amazing, but it should be in addition to the, the operator's normal um, awareness and routine um, it should never be relied solely upon. Right. It seems like there must be, um, you know, some some amount of training and some amount of, you know, just uh, time and field with using the equipment uh, and that safety feature for it to actually become effective. There's got to be, uh, you know, that yeah. that little bit of time in the middle where, you know, there's some onboarding required. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, are there any features that you think are, are not worth it um, or, you know, maybe overrated? Oh, gosh. Um, I think I haven't seen anything yet where I, I don't get the purpose of it. I think some are better than others. Um, there are, you know, boom assists um, that you can put on the back of uh, swing zones for truck cranes and excavators that are magnets. Um, and in some situations, that's not going to work. Um, but there are some situations where those do work, where that swing zone has that extra barrier around it, which is really cool. Um, I think every construction company needs to really identify what's going on with them and their type of work environment as to what's going to be functional and what's not, because not every solution is the right fit for everyone. Right. Every, uh, every safety solution is somewhat uh, customized per job site. Exactly. Um, 
Are there any, uh, is there anything coming out that, you know, you're really excited about that hasn't, uh, you know, hit the ground yet? Oh my gosh. Um, there are so many things that are always coming out in the, in the industry and it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, I get so excited when I go to these trade shows to see what people are working on. Um, uh, you know what, off the top of my head, as far as something new that's coming, um, not so much on the operator side, but there's a really cool product out of Australia that's coming up. Um, it's an emergency evacuation and alert system and an emergency response system that's customizable to every job site. So let's say you've got a big mine site, you've got a big um, construction site where people are very spread out. There are emergency buttons that people can station around their site. Um, and once you hit it, it sends a uh, an alert to everybody who's on your emergency response team tells them exactly the coordinates of where the incident is going on. There's different buttons that you can push as far as what type of emergency it is. So response time is now so much faster to get help out there. So if a machine's on fire or somebody has a heart attack um, out on a big field, you know, it used to be where you had to call the foreman, the foreman had to get a hold of whoever was they thought was the closest person to that site. And all those phone calls take time. Um, so this is a product that I'm really, really excited to see work its way into the U.S. Yeah, that sounds really uh, exciting. What do you think the timeline is? Um, I know that they are, they're braced and ready. Um, so they're, they're um, boots on the ground uh, starting now. I think they'd love to be up and fully operational in probably about a year. So I, I think it's, it's going to be amazing. This podcast is sponsored by Dozer, an online marketplace for heavy equipment rentals across North America. Partnering with thousands of rental houses, Dozer provides contractors with access to local suppliers, transparent pricing, mobile ordering, and an industry-leading payment option of 0% interest for 60 days. Go to dozer.com to find your next heavy equipment rental. That's D-O-Z-R dot com. Thinking about the operator themselves, um, you know, with all of this technology, it's kind of I feel like if I was an operator, I, I might be thinking, is there additional liability on myself now, you know, saying that, hey, there was equipment, there's tools out there that could have, you know, protected somebody um, or, you know, helped uh, solve this problem. Um, is there any, uh, you know, advice uh, you would have for operators, uh, things that they can do? Um, and, you know, I guess the other question is, are they more liable now? Um, what should they do to protect themselves? So um, as far as more liable, I think operators have always had a huge amount of liability on them. We put a tremendous amount of pressure on our equipment operators to make sure everybody stays safe. Um, as far as uh, what I would want from them, I, I need my operators to be more open. Um, I think that's going to be a huge part of preventing some incidents. And what I mean by more open is a lot of our incidents are happening because somebody is distracted or somebody is tired or they're being pushed to get things done um, in, in non-ideal uh, conditions. And I think the biggest thing that we can ask for our operators is when they're seeing these things happen, when they're feeling these ha- things happen, trust your gut. Like nobody knows the machine better than that operator. And if you are uncomfortable with any task out there, you know, say no. We, we've come a long way in understanding stop work authority and, and respecting it. And I am, a, I am a big, huge fan of if you're not comfortable, you stop because nobody knows it better than you. Right. There's a reason you're uncomfortable, a reason why you're exactly. having this gut feeling. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Um, and definitely it's becoming more and more safe to, to do so, um, mm-hmm. you know, as you're kind of saying there. Um, so uh, you provide uh, 
OSHA uh, certified training. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something we think and talk about all the time here. Um, why does it seem like there's no federal uh, countrywide rules about training and licensing for equipment operators. Is it right? <laughs> or, yeah. it, it is. It, you know, I, I make jokes about it all the time. It does seem very bizarre that you have to have training to operate like a, a power propelled pallet jack, um, but not for your big yeah. D10 dozers. Um, and, and it's not that we don't require training. It is that we, we tell people that they have to follow the equipment manufacturer's manual. So when OSHA says that they're putting the onus on to the companies in order to, you know, make sure everybody's trained up, if you actually read the manuals, which is where people don't do things, um, <laughs> uh, if you read through the manual, right in the manual, it specifically states that that person, whoever the operator is, is required to read the whole manual before they operate it, and they're required to have training in order to understand that piece of machinery. So while there is no federal standard, stating that they have to have specific equipment or training to operate dozers or operate excavators or anything else, what OSHA and all the other regulatory agencies will do is they'll fall back and say, it's your responsibility to follow manufacturer's guidelines. So no specific regulation, but still a requirement. So it seems like, uh, you know, the rules change somewhat depending on the type of equipment. Uh, why is that the case? Um, so, I, I, you know, a big thing is OSHA does require a certain training for powered industrial trucks. So your forklifts, your telehandlers, things like that. Yeah. The reason that is out there is because we have the, just the, the sheer number of people operating powered industrial trucks is massive. You have a little over half a million operators in the U.S. Um, and, and with those huge numbers comes a tremendous amount of accidents. The statistics are unbelievable with it. You're, you're talking about close to 100,000 injuries a year um, just operating powered industrial trucks. And it's just a larger statistic than you're looking at with your, your land moving equipment or other heavy equipment. So because it's a little bit more universal and more readily acceptable, they want to make sure that they have a little bit more specialized training in those types of equipment. On a similar note, I, I believe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that on some jobs specific, uh, or, or some specific job sites, you do need additional training, um, or certification. Is that right? If you, you know, you're working beside a gas line or if you're, you know, Running an excavator on on a highway. Um, yep, absolutely. Right? So it all depends on where you're working and who you're working for. Um, so right. there's going to be there's going to be certain areas like New York City and Philadelphia requiring every worker now to have at least an OSHA 10. Some have OSHA 30s. They're putting expiration dates on those, which is not an OSHA thing. That's a that's a jurisdiction thing. Um, I know just to dig in the city of Philadelphia at this point, you need to go to a, a two or three day full OSHA competent person excavation training. Um, so it all is dependent upon who's, where you're working and whose job sites you're on, because there are going to be even just uh, the larger GCs out there are going to put a lot of requirements because the larger the GC, the more risk and liability on them, the more people that they're hiring. They want to make sure that they've got a little beefier um, uh, kind of role in how they're they're requiring their their subs to, to to come prepared. So is the onus on the company or uh, on the operator on the company to provide the training or on the operator to uh, build it up themselves? It is on the company. So it's it's always going to lie on the companies and make sure that their equipment is trained. OSHA doesn't regulate people; it regulates companies. 
So if you're going to ask somebody to, and this is my way of saying it, if you're going to ask somebody to make money for you, which is what you're asking of an operator, uh, the responsibility is on you to make sure that they've got the right training, the right safety equipment, everything else like that. So it will always fall on to the company themselves to make sure the training is there. Okay. Um, so when it comes to smaller uh, contractors uh, who may not have the same amount of resources, uh, do you have any sort of advice on how they should handle um, equipment training um, or, or is it just kind of the same for large and small companies? Yeah. So the unfortunate thing is, is the requirements are the same if you have two employees or 2000 employees. And when you talk about somebody who has all the, the larger numbers, they have a lot more money to spend on, on training and things like that. But at this point in time, we have so many organizations out there that are willing to help out with uh, pooling resources. So my big piece of advice for those smaller companies is get involved. Um, be involved in your local 811s, be involved in your local ABCs, AGCs, um, because it's through those folks that you're going to get much more discounted rates in order to train your onesie twosies versus having somebody actually come to you and do training for 20 people at one time. Awesome. And so that kind of leads me uh, into this, like, uh, uh, buyer rent. Um, are there uh, safety considerations uh, that play a role when you make those decisions? Oh uh, gosh, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah. absolutely, I think you know both both have their pluses and their minuses. Uh, again, yeah. every company is going to have to kind of look at it on their end. And uh, one of the, the jobs that I had in my construction career was I was an equipment director for a large construction company. And even our internal fleet, we had assignments of, you know, how much we would call, uh, charge to rent it per hour. And it, it had to match similar to what the, the other um, rental companies were doing. And when you look at that as to how much you're charging your job to have that piece of equipment out there, over time, you can take those numbers and see, okay, is it worth it to, to pay for it? Have that inside our fleet, but then don't forget all the money that you're going to have to put on big fan of preventative maintenance programs, making sure that you have qualified workers, making sure that you're staying up to date on all of the regulations that are out there with the heavy equipment these days. Um, it, it, it is a lot of money for an investment, but it could be worth it depending on how much you're using the equipment. My big caution with equipment is a lot of people like to go to auctions or, um, you know, sales of, of companies going out of business or, or uh, used equipment. I'm not opposed to it. I think you can get really great deals, but you really got to have somebody who knows what they're looking at come with you and really give that machine a good work through. Um, there's a lot of things a fresh coat of paint can hide <laughs> and you sure. don't want to end up with, you don't want to end up with a lemon that you just spent a hundred thousand dollars on that is just going to be a money pit for you. So if I can dive just a little deeper on this one, um, with, uh, with equipment ownership, uh, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, the, the risk then is on, uh, on the contractor to have the best quality, you know, maintenance. Um, but you know, maybe some savings that they're, they're purchasing specialized safety equipment, you know, once, and then on, on rental, um, the onus is really on most of the onus is probably on the on the uh, the rental company to maintain the equipment properly, um, but a downside would be the specialized uh, add-on safety features. Is that right? Yeah. 
So you do. You have the ability to customize your machines for the exact type of work that you have. I would say um, as far as rental companies go, we would love to say that all of the risk is on the rental company. But realistically speaking, catching the defects is still on the renter. So it is their responsibility to make sure that that machine passes its daily checks, that it's in good condition. And then you can call the rental company in order to come fix it. But it's still your responsibility to check everything. Um, the thing that I don't love about rentals is you just never know what you're going to get. And that's the benefit of owning is your operators can become very proficient in that specific machine. They know it. They know its quirks. They know when it's acting weird. So they have that kind of like we were talking before, that gut sense when something's going wrong with it, which can help you out in the long run of safety as well. Yeah, kind of uh, both with rental and with uh, owning after being in any piece of equipment for some time you start to pick up on, you know, noises or some kind of, you know, something's acting a little bit different, I think is, uh, yep. is what you're saying there. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely experienced that as well. Um, so Monica, we always ask, uh, everyone, uh, do, do you have a favorite piece of equipment? <laughs> um, I'm a big dig girl, so I love like a good like um, long stick excavator. Um, I used to be nice. I used to be big into um, cat. That's where I started my career. I had all the little cat toys, but at this point, I, I have no preference as to brand because they're all coming up with such amazing things. Um, so I'm I'm super excited about everything that's out there, and uh, I, it's just a constant guessing game as to what they're going to come out with next. <laughs> I think you're the first person that uh, has set a long stake excavator. Uh, I love it. Yeah, those things are awesome. <laughs> Very nice. Um, have you operated it yourself? I, I got to play in them a little bit, but I yeah. my my experience is much more on smaller pieces. So um, yeah. I've I've gotten to to sit around and kind of learn the controls, but no, not on an actual job site. I just. I, I'm that kid who's driving down the highway. You see a brand new excavator trolling down the road, and all you want to do is follow it and see where it's going. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Same. I I love those long reaches. I've never operated one myself. I've you know, most pieces of equipment, but I haven't actually been in the seat of a long reach. Um, I would love to. They look really cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Monica, where how can our, our listeners uh, find you if they, they have questions or, or want to reach out? Sure. So you can always um, go to my website. Uh, it's an easy way to get a hold of me. There's a contact form right on there. Um, it is www.entertrainingsolutions.com. So enter training, uh, T-R-A-I-N-I-G, and solutions with an S.com. Or you can always email me at monica at entertrainingsolutions.com as well. Awesome. Thanks. Um, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Monica. It's been great getting to know you and, and talking about uh, equipment safety today. Thank you so much for the invite. It was a blast. Nice. Yeah, thanks again. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Monica about safety and construction. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media and watch all of our episodes on YouTube. All links to the guests and Building Builders podcast materials will be provided in the description of this episode. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode.